I don't get it. Maybe I'm just too old. Uh, the frustration was in her voice and the furrowed brow staring at us wasn't an attack, but it was aimed at us. It was a strong statement, a raw statement. Uh, she was close to resigning to the fact that maybe new information was just too much to take in. And she should revert back to what she had known for years prior. In the words of the modern-day prophet Brene Brown, clarity is kindness, and my friend Chris and I were not being very clear at all. But to be fair, we were trying to fit the whole story of God into a few minutes. Let me rewind a little bit. It had probably been a matter of months earlier that we'd had our hearts set on fire with the reality that God's story unpacked over all 66 books of the Bible. And that the, what happened in the Bible wasn't just a bunch of isolated events, but actually God was doing something throughout the entire narrative arc. Big words meaning story of Scripture. It was like a thread weaving through every single story from Genesis to Revelation. It's the kind of soul shifting that begins to tweak all parts of your life, and you get really, really excited about it. Like when God shows you something new, and you get amped, and then you try to explain it, but words fall short. I'd grown up in a church setting, so me personally, Kevin's background story, that emphasized the really, really small parts of Scripture. Like, I memorized verses when I was younger. And shout out to Awana, I memorized a lot of verses. Like, hundreds and hundreds of verses and got, I think, like, shares, like little fake dollar bills that we then bought junk with. And then that's how we memorized Scripture. But I memorized tons of it. And then I went to Bible college and got a theology degree. Uh, with an undergrad in Greek, so that way I, or the minor in Greek, that way I could really pay attention to the small parts of it. Uh, I did my Hebrew in seminary and don't remember a single letter. That's not an exaggeration. I don't remember a letter of Hebrew, so don't hate me, but it's true. And then I went on to get my Master of Divinity, so another three years of school. And somehow, in all of those classes, in all of those lectures, in all of those sermons, in all of those studies that I put together, I had missed that God's told one unfolding story of his incredible redemption, and it was woven through every page of Scripture. I'd get pieces of it, but not the whole thing. And a box full of pieces isn't very helpful unless you have a big picture to set it up against. Uh, those of you that do puzzles know this, right? I don't do puzzles, but I've watched my wife do puzzles. And so the most helpful thing is not the little pieces that are in front of you, but the box that you prop up to look at and say, okay, I have a piece. Where does this go on the big picture? Uh, because without that frame of reference, the bit little pieces don't really matter that much, and you don't know what you're aiming at. And it takes way longer to put a puzzle together. So I'm guessing if you want to level up your puzzle game at the holidays, you just dump the pieces and take the box and see what happens. So... Merry Christmas. I got a new game. Um, for those of you maybe that aren't puzzle people like me, imagine that all you ever watched was football on a fuzzy old tube TV where it was like super sketchy. You saw a little bit. It looked like the football players were playing on a sea of green, but it was kind of like blobby and they just ran across it. And then somebody gifts you a 5K TV and you're like, oh, they're playing on grass. Like, and you begin to see each and every blade of grass and the sweat dripping down the player's face and the expressions on the fake cutouts in the stands. You can actually tell what they are. Because with clarity, you're able to see 
something that you didn't see before when it was just a little fuzzy. And that's how we felt about the story of God. And so words were falling really, really short as we tried to explain what we were seeing that God was doing. But that didn't stop us from using a lot of words to try and describe it. So, go back to my friend's office where she's sitting at her desk, frustrated with these two knucklehead church planning pastors who are trying to explain to her a brand new way to look at her Bible as if it were a story. What in the world does that mean? I don't even like Shakespeare. And now you're telling me this is like a six-act play. When I hear story, I think Peter Pan and fairies and Tinkerbell, like fake things. Is that what you're telling me the Bible is? Are you telling me that I've gotten it all wrong all this time, that something as big as like the entire story of God tells one story, and I haven't seen that for my 50 years of life? Have I missed it the whole entire time? All led to this moment in this office, enjoying the awkward silence of mind-blowing realities and inadequate words. And so now there's a debate between Chris and I how this next part of the story actually unfolded, uh, but I'm the one talking. So uh, in my brain, I remember us having just spent an hour at my house in my townhome, a dry erase board on the wall, sitting down thinking like, all right, when we're explaining the Bible as a story and we're going an act of the story at a time through the story of God, we're only on act two and people don't seem like they're getting it. But it's a really big idea that this Bible tells one unfolding story and that all the small pieces find their home in this one big story and that God has a people he always have who is called for a purpose. They always have been. And they're filled with his power. Isn't that incredible? Like, I want our church to get that. But they're glazed over. Like, they don't have masks on and you can see every single one of their resting faces is like, huh? What? I don't get it. Try again, pastor. And so we were trying to figure out how to do that. And we come up with these simple, uh, really simple things. It was like, man, these, these symbols, are they too simplistic? Like, we wanted to go simple. We wanted to go reproducible. We wanted to go transferable. People could get it no matter where they were. But is this a little bit too simple? And so when she is asking that question, my brain's like, all right, I don't want to go. I'm the kind of person who wants to have it, like, mostly together before we start rolling with something, like, to see if I had any, like, big holes that were missing or big theological, like, errors I was making because I was about to summarize the Bible with some arrows. And Chris is far more pragmatic and was like, ah, let's just see what happens. And so uh, after I attempted to use the same words and confused her further that I'd used the night before at our Sunday gathering, uh, Chris just jotted down and turned and said, hey, let me draw something out for you real quick. When we say the Bible tells one story, uh, think of it as six acts. No, it's not fiction. It's true. But every good story unfolds over time. And so uh, come with me and imagine in the story that there's a God who creates everything good, right, and true. Now, this is Genesis 1 and 2 in your Bible. Act 1 is God coming down, so to speak, and creating absolutely everything, right? Stars, sky, birds, he creates the water, he creates the fish, he creates human beings, the apex of his creation, and tells them to be fruitful and multiply, to cultivate all the hidden potentials of this world that he's created, to bear his image out across the globe, and to keep having little image bearers that would do the same thing. And so it's almost like the idea that in concentric circles, this globe would be developed. But, go back. Something goes wrong. In Genesis 3 through 11, we read how those humans rebel against God. 
they decide to say, God, I hear what you said. I want to live outside your reign. I think there's a better life to be had outside of your rules, your reign, your presence. You told us not to eat of this fruit, but it looks really good, and I want to be like you, and so I'm going to eat it anyway. And the moment when they did, death entered the world. Relationships were fragmented. And Genesis 3 through 11 unpacks the devastating effects in a short amount of time of what takes place. As in a downward cycle, the first family ends in murder. All sorts of sin. Every thought of every person was continually evil, and God wipes stuff out with a flood. And Genesis 11 leaves us with this Tower of Babel where human beings have built up for themselves this tower to say, let's reach to God. When God had told them to go out around the world. What's God going to do? Now, some stories end right there in their tragedies. That didn't work. Scrap it. Start over. But act three of the story is promise. That God makes a promise to a man named Abram and says, out of you I'm going to bless all the people of the world. I'm going to make you a nomadic, elderly man without any kids to be the father of a great nation through whom all the world will be blessed. And then your entire Bible from Genesis 12 to Malachi 4 unpack that story of God's faithfully keeping his promises to his people Israel. And there's way more that we're going to get into over the next 40 weeks that tell some of these stories. So I'm not going to tell them all, but long story short, Israel is called to be a faithful presence to all the nations that they can display God's glory to anybody who looks at it. They look and say, man, this nation is wise. Where do they get this stuff from? And they're like, oh, they're God, Yahweh. He's legit. He is a rescuing, redeeming, incredible, all-powerful deity. But they fail in that. They consistently and constantly turn back to false idols, lifting up the gods of the cultures around them, adapting to worshiping created things instead of being a people of the creator. But God doesn't leave his world without hope. Jesus. And this cross represents redemption. And by that, and by that, I don't just mean Jesus' death. I mean his life, his death, and his resurrection. All three of those matter. That Jesus lived on this world as God's own son, fully God, fully man, demonstrating what the kingdom of God looked like with each and every miracle and declaring good news, the kingdom of God is here now. That is that the reign of God has finally come back to be with his people. But it looked nothing like what they expected. They wanted a mighty, conquering king that would come in and wipe the Romans out. And they got a humble carpenter who had an itinerant preaching ministry. And they were confused on a good day. And they were very, very angry on the other days. And so the religious people had Jesus murdered for his claims that the kingdom were here and that he was the Messiah. But three days later, Jesus rises from the dead, right? He conquers Satan's sin, disease, death. He breaks that curse in some ways at that moment and comes back and does what the Israelites had always expected somebody to do is to resurrect. They thought that was going to be everybody at the end of time. They didn't realize that one man in the middle of time was going to come back. And it blew their minds as well it should because God's new creation broke into the world at the resurrection. John paints this picture of it's, it's a brand new day in the garden when Jesus resurrects. New life was breaking in to the old world. 
And then he promises that one day he will return to restore everything. That he's going to judge finally and fully. Don't miss this. He will judge finally and fully evil and all those who would not bow their knee to King Jesus. But he will restore all things. And this is what we learn about in Revelation, especially towards the end when he says, Behold, I'm making all things new. The dwelling of God is now with man. These are his people. He is their God. This beautiful picture. And that's the sixth act. And if you remember, I'm missing one of these. And that's because that's the act that we find ourselves in today. Uh, This is the church. Uh, The people who have been given this moment before Jesus returns to make all things new, but after he was born, that he's going to return, that he calls a people filled with his spirit for power that are then commissioned out throughout the world to announce and embody good news. And that's who we are right now as a church. That's who we are as this starting church plant we're explaining to our friend. And before I get to her response, though, uh, I've got an assignment for you guys, because you guys have been listening to me a lot today. Um, Here's the assignment. Imagine that you're with me in that room. Uh, You know what you already know about the, you don't have to pretend that you don't know the true story. You guys all know the true story. And you have to draw six symbols, but they can't be the arrows. Arrows are out. What do you write down? All right, if you only made it through creation, but it's a beautiful creation, that matters because it's just the rest are in your mind. And you can tell me that. Um, did anybody get through all six? Oh, does anybody want to share what theirs were in really quick fashion? All right, we got in the back. Ready? You're going to have to use this one, though, because you can do it later. I can't do yours right now. You can sit up. Keep them, though. Don't throw them out when you're done. I want to keep them for pictures. So I can feel good about my stick figures. Ready? Roll through them. What were the images that you used? Um, well, for the first one, for creation, we did a tree. And then for rebellion, there was a tree on fire. And then promise. for promise was a tree with fruit. And then redemption is a cross made out of the tree. And then church is, instead of two people, two saplings, two little saplings. And then restoration is a big tree. Let's go. Thank you so much. Uh, Beautiful image. No, we're going to do them later. We're not going to through them all. I don't have time to do them all. If you guys want to hang out afterwards, I would love to see them. I would 100% love to see them. But... um, Beautiful picture from the end of Revelation is that the tree, there's a tree of life there, but there's no tree of knowledge of good and evil anymore. And on its tree are enough fruit to heal all the nations, which is a beautiful imagery of a massive tree at the end. I love what you guys did, and I love the creativity of it. Um, So the feedback we got after doing those symbols was, oh, I get it. That was it, right? After all my words, all my degrees, all my sentences and hours spent pouring over things, a few simple symbols were able to capture the narrative in a way that was concrete and able to be passed on. Uh, And what you guys just participated in was what N.T. Wright calls an essential part of our theological missionary task. Huh? One of the key parts of our role in God's world is to tell this story as clearly as possible and allow it to subvert other ways of telling the story of the world. And you guys just participated in that. I love it. 
to wrap up the teaching, here's what I want to say, and I think I'm right on. Um, I think if I was to go back to Missio, sorry, if I was to go back and, and talk to you guys, uh, the fact that the Bible tells one unfolding story is not like, for most of you, isn't like, whoa, what? Slow down. Hold up. I've never heard of that. Like, we've got a series of tattoos on bodies. We've got artwork everywhere. Many of you have these symbols somewhere in your home, and that is amazing. I love that. That is incredible. But I do think as we engage with the story of God over the next 40 weeks, I want to give us three invitations as a church. Uh, The first one is an invitation to investigate which story is the main story informing my life right now. Uh, It's possible to know the true story, symbols and all, and still live our lives with some other story informing a majority of life with some other Savior being the one that we bow down to. And I would love if we as a church were able to investigate the ways and spaces where we're still informed by other stories in the everyday stuff of life. Like when it comes to where I buy a house, what informs that? When it comes to whether or not I date, who I date, what informs that? When it comes to whether or not I tell a lie, why do I choose what I choose? I would love for us to continue to investigate which story is actually ruling my life and to know which stories are seductive enough to make us cause, cause us to want to believe them. Uh, Because none of us perfectly live in step with the Spirit in the biblical story every step of the way. So it's great when we can say, huh, that's what God says. Where have I gotten my view of that before? And a freedom to turn from that to turn to God, which is what repent and believe the good news is all about. A second invitation is an invitation to learn the smaller stories. Like I said, we're really good at the big story. Like you guys just not only came up with symbols, but alternative symbols that were probably rich in theology the whole way through, right? Like taking a tree all the way through, there's some Bible college students that would be like, what? I don't even get that. And we're able to enter into that because we focus on that a lot, but... I think what misses sometimes is the smaller stories that make up that great big story. And I want to invite us as a church to go along and read some of those smaller stories that shape our faith. Part of the genesis, or the beginning, I shouldn't say genesis, part of the beginning of me even wanting to do this series was I was like, man, if you became a Christian as Missio, like into Missio de Mesa, and we have some people who have. Like, like you're fresh, you were not following Jesus, and then you are following Jesus now, and you came into the story, came into the family through Missio, There are like big, huge parts of the story that you would have no idea even about. Like like we could talk about Esau and Jacob, and you'd be like, huh? We've never once mentioned them on a Sunday. You wouldn't know who that was, but that's kind of in the lineage of Jesus, kind of a big deal. There's all sorts of stories through the Old Testament that we wouldn't have any idea what they were. And so we want to piece that together, but it's an invitation to learn or relearn some of those smaller stories and see how they, like one author says, whisper the name of Jesus in every single one of them. And then lastly, an invitation to share the story more often. An invitation to share the story more often. Uh, When I ask in our missional community or in different missional communities across Missio, how's it going as you share the story with friends that don't know Jesus? Um, I still get met with some of the same crickets I had when people didn't even know the story. Like, oh, I know it well, 
I think through it, but I'm not speaking it out because I'm not as certain about how that would go or for whatever reason. But part of the, the work of the follower of Jesus, part of what we're invited into in, as a church is not just to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God, but also to declare it. And my prayer is that as we become more rooted in the story, spending time rehearsing it together, that we will make the intentional choices empowered by the Spirit to say it to others and then invite them to play their role in God's story. A helpful reflection question is just, when is the last time that I shared the story and then asked the person if they wanted to take up their role in God's story, if they wanted to turn to Jesus, to turn from whatever they were trusting? And that's not the shame or guilt or heap, like, you know, regret on you, but just to say, maybe this year is a year that we grow in speaking the good news in a winsome way that makes much of Jesus. That'd be a great year, wouldn't it? And so that's the hope of what we're going to go towards. Uh, before we take communion and send out, I want us to be aware that this good news is not just for us only. Uh, this isn't just for us here in Mesa or us here in America, but it is for literally the nations. Uh, and so to close out, we started praying for our nation, uh, and we're going to end praying over the nations. But to do that, I've got Laura who's going to share a little bit about the nation that she's heading back to.